0: Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer, so if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So, it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Hello, my true crime gurus. That's the nickname I thought about. Do you like it? I like it. True crime gurus or just gurus welcome back to just a grown true crime i'm your host as always heaven it's been a little bit since i've um did a podcast um the day i was supposed to upload the into the woods online how urban legend slender man inspired children to kill when i was gonna upload it thursday i caught what my kids had and I got super sick and I just sounded like I was dying and I figured you didn't want a podcast where I was blowing my nose and like clearing my throat 24-7 so I decided not to record Thursday and then Friday I thought it was a little bit better I was gonna be a little bit better I'm sorry and I sounded a little I kind of sounded better but I was still sick. I actually missed two days of work, and then Saturday, I spent the day running around my house, going crazy, before I left for vacation on Sunday, and then Sunday, as you guys know, from Sunday to Sunday, um, I went down to the beach, I went to Ocean City, Maryland, and I just got back this past Sunday, um, and... I wanted to upload, but I dove so far into this case where it took me days upon days to write the notes and get everything down. And I didn't even finish it all. I haven't pulled up on my computer, so I'm just going to read like the last little bit from there because it was a lot of writing and it's 11:06 and, you know, I've been drinking, so it's been a long night. And I was just trying to get back into the swing of things um, with my kids, excuse me, with my kids like getting into school, the babysitter, us getting back into work, getting up at five. But I am back and we are going to do this podcast and we're going to do this case. And I want to say thank you. First off, thank you all so much. My last recording that I did of the urban bl- urban legend of Bloody Mary I got 200 and I believe 46 plays on it that is awesome I love seeing that I'm almost at my $15 mark and everything like that where it's exciting it's a huge accomplishment for me and I you know I I just love you guys all so much you're making this dream come true and I couldn't have done it without all the beautiful listeners that I have from all over the world, from the different countries. Just you got you guys are doing it. You're doing everything and I didn't really expect it like to take off. Like it started slow, which I got, but it seems a lot of people like my urban legends sometimes versus my true crime. So we can definitely throw more urban legends into the mix if you want. If you want to hear something, you can always request it. But we're about to hop in this case because there is a lot that we have to go over. And I didn't know we would be going into two different people in this um, case. So you get like um like a murder, an attempted murder, I guess. And you get Slenderman all in one. And I didn't know these other two... Girls were in it until I did the research, and I'm like, huh, that's crazy. So let's get started. On Friday night in late spring of 2014, in the small drive city of Waukesha, I think I pronounced that wrong, but we all know how I am with big words, Wisconsin, a trio of six-grade girls got together to celebrate... Morgan geyser's birthday They skated for hours under the disco lights at the roller rink and you know what it brings me back to roller rinks Because when I was in high school, I went to the roller rink every Friday and possibly Saturday Tame Moosey hair Peyton Lather and she's known as Bella in the story Um, Anissa Wainer with her shaggy brown mop top and Morgan, the best friend they had in common with her moon of a face, big glasses, and long blonde hair. Sorry, I have like a tickle in my throat. They were three not so popular girls at Horning Middle School. A little more childish than the others, a little more obsessed with fantasy and video games, and making up scary stories. Morgan cast herself as a creative weirdo, and she related to her new friend, Anissa, on this level, through science fiction. (laughs) Anissa, who had almost no other friends... Had moved down the block after her parents recent divorce when they got back to the birthday girls house they greeted the cats played games on their tablets and then they headed up to Morgan's room where they all finally fell asleep all three were in a puppy pile in the twin size loft bed in the morning of the In the morning, the girls made a game out of hurling clumps of silly putty up at the ceiling. They role-played for a while as the android from Star Trek and a troll and a princess. And they ate breakfast of donuts and strawberries. Morgan got her mom's permission to walk to a small park nearby. As they headed to a playground, Bella was ahead of Morgan well, I'm sorry, was a head, so she was in the lead. And Morgan lifted up her plaid jacket to show Anissa what she had tucked in her waistband. She had a steak knife from the kitchen. Anissa was not surprised by this. They had talked about this moment for months on end. After some time on the swings, Anissa suggested that they should go play hide-and-seek in the suburban woods at the park's, like, edge part. There, just a few feet away, beyond the tree line, Morgan and Anissa's cue, Morgan on Anissa's cue, stabbed Bella in the chest, then stabbed her again and again and again in her arms, her leg, and near her heart. By the time Morgan stopped, um... She had stabbed her 19 times. That's a lot. Bella screamed, rose up, and then she couldn't walk straight. Anissa braced her by the arm. Both of them were small, and she and Morgan led her further and further from the trail. They ordered Bella to lie down on the ground, and they claimed that they would go get help for her, you know, after they stabbed her. Which, what? How are you going to stab your supposedly friend and then go, Oh, it's okay, you know, just lay here and we're going to go get help. No, you shouldn't have stabbed her in the first place. Um, so, lying, Bella lying down on the dirt and leaves on the back of her shirt, turning damp with blood, slowly bleeding out in the woods, Bella was left to die, okay? About five hours later, like a few miles away, while resting in the grass along Interstate 94, Morgan and Anissa were picked up by a pair of sheriff's deputies, and the deputies approached them very carefully, aware that the girls were possible suspects in a stabbing. But they were con. I saw like they were confused by their age, so I'm guessing like they thought they were older people. But when they came up, they're like, "Oh, they're young teenagers. They're like preteens, right?" One of the men noticed blood on Morgan's clothes as he handcuffed her. When he asked, when she, when he asked if she was injured, she said no. And then they asked, you know, where did the blood come from? And then... Is it Morgan I'm reading? Yeah. Morgan replied to the officer, I was forced to stab my best friend. Morgan and Anissa didn't know it yet, but Bella actually survived that brutal attack against all odds that were thrown at her. So they thought we stab her 19 times, we tell her to lay down, fake to go get help, but we just won't go help her. And then she'll eventually die and somebody else will find her body. But Bella, like I said, she survived it because she is a strong little girl. After the two girls um, were arrested, after the two girls were arrested over the course of nearly nine combined oh, nearly nine combined hours of interviews they claimed that they were compelled to compelled to will her by a monster that had encouraged I'm sorry encountered online when discovered the girls were making their way to him heading to Wisconsin's Nicolette National Forest on foot almost 200 miles north. They were convinced that once they were there, if they pushed further and further into the nearby 700,000 acre forest, they would find the mansion in which their monster dwells, and he would welcome them. Morgan and Anissa had packed for the trip. They packed granola bars, water, and photos, um, which to remember their families by. Or, you know, just don't stab your best friend in first place. That's my thing, but hey. Though they were both very young, Midwestern 12, they had been chosen for a dark and unique destiny, that none of their junior high classmates could possibly understand, drawn into the forest in the sur- drawn into the forest the service of a force much greater and more mysterious than anything in their suburban American lives. What drew them out there was a name Slender Man, faceless and pale and impossibly tall. His symbol is the letter X inside a circle. Girls lured, lured out into the woods. This is the stuff of folk tales from so many countries. A New World fear of the Puritans, an image at the heart of witchcraft, and the Oculate. Some of our best-known folk tales were passed down by teenagers specifically teenage girls to be ad- to be an adolescent girl is for many to view yourself as a desperately set apart powerful misunderstood, a special alien terribly terrible and extra extranor- extraordinary sorry the flood of a n- new hormone shot from the glands into the bloodstream the first, charged touches with a boy or a girl the first years of bleeding in secret the starting feeling that your body is suddenly hard to contain by extension so are you and like I got all of this from the site I got most of my research from the guardian and what I just read um was in there and I didn't write a lot of it because it just like got a little weird, so, um, but there may only be one other crime committed by the girls that closely, closely evokes that of Morgan and Anissa, and these are the other two people we're gonna talk about, and this took place 60 years earlier in 1954 in New Zealand, Pauline Parker and Juliet. Hummel, met at a conservative all-girl school in Christchurch and became the closest of friends. Pauline was 16 and Julia was only a few months younger. It was an unexpected friendship as their families had little in common. Pauline's parents were working class. Her father ran a fish and chip shop. While Juliet's parents were on the more wealthier side, and they were very well-traveled, and from England, their father was the rector of a local university, but the girls had something that drew them together. They both had been sickly children, Pauline with osteomyelitis. Which left her limp, and Juliet with ammonia, which led to tuberculosis. And that brought with it a particular kind of isolation. Excuse from gym class, the pair would spend um, their time, you know, walking through the yard, holding hands. They spoke almost excessively to each other. From this closeness, the two built a wholly immersive, imaginative, imaginative life. They bonded through regular sleepovers at Juliet's house and the swapping of chapters of the Baroque novels. They were writing packed with tales of doomed romance and adventure. Pauline was stocky and boyish with short black hair and a scar running down her leg. Juliet, um, her hair was blonde. She had um, blonde highlights in her hair. And she was taller and slimmer and wore well-tailored clothes. Pauline, who suffered, I'm sorry, Pauline, who shuffled when she walked, was often ready to lash out. While Juliet, on the other hand, carried herself with elegance and an easy confidence of an aristocrat, they dreamed of running away together to America where they would work hard and they would be published to great acclaim and adapted for film. They rode their bicycles for... They rode their bicycles into the countryside, took off their jackets, their socks and their shoes, and danced until they were exhausted. Sometimes late at night Pauline would actually sneak away and she would ride her bike over to Juliet's house and then Julio Juliet would slip through the balcony and they would ride her her horse through the night into um in like through the woods. On a bright June afternoon in 1954, Pauline Pauline and Juliet took a walk through a local park with Pauline's mother. The place was vast with a few hiking trails cleared between the young pines and outcroppings of volcanic rocks. When they were far away, when they were far away from you know, other walkers, Juliet provided a distraction and she was like, oh, look, um, look at this pretty pink stone that she planted on the ground. And as Pauline's mother, Horana Parker, bent down to take a look, Pauline then removed a piece of brick that she had hidden in her bag wrapped in a school stocking and brought it down upon her mother's head. The woman collapsed and the girls took turns bludgeoning her about 45 blows to the head. Her glasses knocked off from her face and her dentures expelled from her mouth until she was dead. Who that's rough. According to Pauline's journals, in the year leading up to the murder, she and Juliet had created their own religion unimpressed by Christianity and inspired by elements in their own lives. Both secular and scared, they drew on the Hallowe- Hollow- Hollywood movies, not Halloween heaven, they had seen at their local cinema for their courier tear of saints, Maria Lanza. Orson Wells erected a temple in a secluded corner of Juliet's backyard and marked their personal holidays with elaborate choreographed rituals. They believed that they could have visions at will of a fourth world, a, quote, holier realm inhabited by by only the most transcendent of artists a plane of existence for about that of Pauline's father with his fish and chips shop or her undereducated mother with enough practice each would soon be able to read others' minds so they were like listen Paulette We got to get rid of your mom because she's undereducated and your dad can't come with us because he runs a fish and chip shop. Okay. Uh, I lost my place. Oh, even, I'm sorry. Each made their other singular and perfect. What eventually drove Pauline and Juliet to kill Pauline's mom was the fear of being torn apart since Juliet's parents were separating and um, Juliet's father wanted her to stay with her dad's sister in Johannesburg while they prepared to return to England. Paulette's mom had refused Pauline. It's Pauline. It's Pauline. I'm, it's not Paulette. I apologize. It's Pauline. I think, like, I'm putting Paulette and Juliet... Pauline and Juliet together, and I'm putting it, like, Paulette. I'm sorry, it's Pauline. Um, But Pauline's mom refused her to go. And if this were to happen, the world they built together over so many, like... Like, of them daydreaming on afternoons, the secret nights, out amongst... The trees would just collapse... In April nineteen fifty four Pauline wrote Anger against mother boiled up inside me. It is she who is the one who is the main one of the main obstacles in my path. Suddenly a means of ridding myself from the obstacle occurred to me. And then on June a series of entries. So on June nineteenth, we practically finished our books today and our main idea for the, the day was to moiter mother, this notion is not a new one, but this time, it is a definite plan, which we intend to carry out. On June 20th, we discussed our plan for mortaring mother and made a little, made them a little cleaner particularly enough i have no qualms of consequence or it is particular we are so or is it particular we are so mad on june 21st i feel very keyed up as though i were planning a surprised party the next time i write in this diary mother will be dead how odd yet pleasing And early morning of June 22nd on a page of her journal labeled in curling letters the day of the happy event. I am writing a little of this up on the morning before the death. I feel very excited and the night before Christmas-ish. Last night, I am about to rise. Like those... Chris Church, Morgan and Anisa were drawn to each other because of loneliness. So now we're gonna go back to Morgan and Anisa for a little bit. Each saw each other as an affirmation of her uniqueness. They shared a hidden ritualized world, but Morgan and Anisa's private universe was spun not from the maddest idols and historical novels of the early 20th century, but from online fictions of our own time. They have devoted themselves to an internet boogeyman, like a fairy tale monster. Slender Man emerged through a series of obscured clues, never fully visible. He first appeared online in the summer of 2009 in two vague images. In the first dated back to 1983, a herd of young teenagers streams out of a wooded area toward the camera, while behind them looms a tall and pale spectacle figure with its hands outstretched and it is coupled with a message we didn't want to go we didn't want to kill them but its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time and in the second photo That was dated in 1986. We see a playground full of little girls, all about 6 or 7 years old. In the foreground, one pauses to face the camera, smiling as she climbs a slide. In the background, in the shade of a cluster of trees, others gather around a tall figure in a dark suit if you look closely you can make out wavy arms or tentacles emanating from its back a label states that the photo is notable for being taken on the day on which 14 children actually vanished as a record of what is referred to as the slender man i'm gonna have to find these photos because in the guardian i didn't see any photos after i do this podcast I'm definitely going to look for them, even though everyone's sleeping in my house, and I literally have my dining room light on full, my living room light will be on, and my kitchen light's on, and my door's, like, locked three times. So, yes. Stuff like this kind of scares me sometimes. These photos were presented as documents, the 1986 image bears, a watermark from City of Sterling. Libraries, the photographers, respectively, are listed as presumed dead and missing. Over the next several years, the monster spread at an exponential rate, mainly through alternate reality games, online text, and video games, by fans feeding off the narratives of others in real time, creating a network, networked narrative that blurs the lines between reality and fiction. And as the story spread, it quickly lost its point of origin, becoming, in, becoming instead the creative nexus for hundreds of thousands of users of a dark, sprawling real-time fairy tale And everything like that. So people were just taking it very, very out of context. And now we're going to go back to Morgan and Anissa. Alright. So Morgan and Anissa were the youngest members of the Slenderverse, what they call it. And they were quickly consumed by the swirling, open-ended storyline. They latched onto him as it was a source of a private ritual... In lichpin of the occult universe, they were building together. From the beginning, their friendship was forged by a kind of urgency. Anissa, in particular, suffered from bullying after recently transferring to their high school, a fact that she did keep it from her parents, she didn't tell them what was going on, and she needed this month's old bond with morgan to essentially i almost spilled my drink essentially last morgan would later claim that she had gone ahead with the stabbing to keep anissa happy it's i hard enough to make friends i don't want to lose them over something like this their bond was only heightened by the alternate Reality they inhabited together. Morgan and Anissa shared visions. They claimed they were tangible and hyper-realistic. Like the adults posting on Slenderman. Forums, the girls told each other that they were able to actually see Slendy. That's what they called him but with a vivid reality that set them apart from any healthy adult fan. According to Anissa, after she first met, first told Morgan about the monster, Morgan actually claimed that she had spotted him when she was five years old. In a wooded area near her family's house, Anissa then told Morgan that she had seen him twice in a tree outside the window of the bus they shared to school. When the detective actually questioned Anissa shortly after her arrest, um she asked if Morgan the um, the detective asked if Morgan had been the one to suggest they become proxies or agents of Slenderman. And we have some transcripts that I'm going to read to you. Anissa replied with, yeah. And the detective said, you know, what did you say? And she replies, I said, okay. How do we do that? And then that's when Morgan said, we have to kill Bella. And, you know, the detective was like, okay. Pause for a minute. And do you know why she said that? And she replied, because... We had to supposedly prove ourselves worthy to Slender. And they replied, and what did you think of this? I was surprised, but also kind of excited because I wanted proof that he actually existed. But Anissa, if you said you saw him, um, you know, before... Why would you need proof if you've seen him? That's what you told Morgan. You know. Okay. And she, um, like I said, she wanted the proof. So she decided to go along. She wanted to tag along. And, you know, basically just to prove the skeptics wrong. If I finish this podcast and I look out my window or I turn around and I see Slenderman, you know record for anymore y'all know what happened to me slender man got me all right and then the detective said so did you think that you actually had to kill someone to do it and she said yeah and they were like like for real like i don't think they were like is this girl serious and anissa went "Mm mm-hmm About an hour into the interrogation, the detective then asked Anissa when Morgan said, if you don't do this for Slenderman, our families and our loved ones will be killed. Do you honestly believe that? And she started crying and answered in an astonished kid voice, well, yeah. More specifically, she believed that Slenderman can easily kill her whole family in three seconds just hours earlier during their long trek to the nicolet forest the girls were convinced that they had caught a glimpse of him along the way in the suburban woods amongst the trees by the highway they could hear the rustling of him following close by when anissa described her nervous her nervousness as they approached the playground that morning the detective asked you know what were you most nervous about and she answered seeing a dead person cuz the last time i saw a dead person was at a funeral and it was her uncle when asked morgan when asked morgan had been upset in the park anissa says killing she had never done that before she stabbed apples with like chopsticks but she never actually cut a flesh wound into somebody. And that is what she that is what she told the detectives. Now going back to Paulette Pauline and Juliet for just a brief moment um they continued you know those girls were 16 they and they continued to be behave like immature girls unaware of what was even at stake even after their arrest when pauline was taken into custody alone at first police believed that juliet was not directly involved she didn't want to break her habit of journal writing so she wrote a new entry stating that she had managed to pull off the moiter and was taking the blame for everything a detective on the case quickly seized it as evidence once both girls were at the station sharing a cell they were actually placed on suicide watch but they spent their but they spent their first night a, so a police officer would then later report gossiping in their bunks unconcerned about their new environment, so it didn't seem like jail was really concerning for Pauline and Juliet. In a courtroom packed with spectators, Pauline and Juliet were out of sync with a tone of proceedings. Seated together in the dock, they appeared relaxed and indifferent, often whispering excitingly to each other and smiling. One journalist described their attitude through it as one of the most Optimus amusement. All right, and we're gonna go back to Morgan and Anissa. So we're gonna talk about some some of the months before Bella's stabbing in 2014. Morgan Geyser was entering into adolescence. She had just had her first period, and at the same time, descending into mental illness. At her initial five hour, after her five After her initial five-hour interview came to an end, Morgan, who was still without parents, in clothes and slippers provided by the police, she was placed into the Washington County Jail for Juveniles. Anissa was there too, but they were not allowed to interact with each other. Morgan could have no visitors other than her parents, who were required to sit on the other side of a glass divider. Only after a few months into her stay, she was permitted to touch or hold them, and even then only twice a month. Over the summer, she, she became, as her mother, Angie, described as a floridal psychotic. She continued to have conversations with Slenderman, as well as characters from the Harry Potter series, at one point, she claimed that the servant Snape kept her up until three a.m. She saw unicorns and she treated ants in her cell like pets. In autumn of that year, Morgan was moved out into the Winnebago Mental Health Institution. I'm sorry, Institute, for a few months. Um, of a 24 hour observation to determine if she had a chance of being competent enough to stand trial. There she was given a psychological evaluation that concluded that she had early onset schizophrenia and it was very rare for someone so young. At a hearing in December of 2014, the judge found Morgan capable of standing trial, and ordered her back to the Winnebago for treatment. But the Felicity could no longer take her now that she had been deemed competent. Her parents asked her asked for her um, asked for her $500,000 bail to be reduced. To a signature bond so that she could be moved into a group a group home for girls with mental and emotional issues but the request was denied because the home was not considered secure enough by late 2015 Morgan Geiser who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia was still not being treated for it which is very sad Morgan's hallucinations were grounded into something more specific her genetic inheritance. Her father, Matt, began his lifelong struggle with schizophrenia at the age of 14 as well. And he receives government assistance due to his illness. My sister, actually, my youngest sister, um, has schizophrenia as well. And she gets government assistance um, because of the illness. In a recent documentary, Beware of Slenderman, which I did not know about that until now, he talked about his coping mechanisms for living with a schizophrenic. He runs numbers in his head and tries to put up static to block out his visuals and auditory hallucinations. Matt and his wife Angie decided early on to delay sharing the fact of Matt's mental illness with their daughter until she grew older. Why make her fearful of a genetic inherited disease that she might never have to have face? Which, okay, I get. And they said she had no clear warning signs either. In January 2016, after 19 months without treatment, Morgan was finally committed to a state hospital and put on put on antipsychotic medication antipsychotic medication By spring her attorney claimed that her hallucinations were receding and I lost my place Oh, and her condition was improving rapidly. But in May May of that year, after 2 years of incarceration, Morgan attempted to cut her arm with a broken pencil, and then she was placed on suicide watch. Late this September, Morgan accepted a plea deal, bar- a plea bargain, agreeing to be placed in a mental institution indefinitely, thus avoiding um, the possibility of prison. Just weeks earlier earlier, Anissa had also accepted a deal pleading guilty to a lesser charge of attempted second degree homicide, and the jury actually recommended that she be sent to a mental hospital for at least three years. Alright, and back real quick to Paulette and Juliet because that's all on Morgan and Anissa. Um, the Paula and Juliet, Pauline, I'm so sorry, and Juliet actually had a joint trial, um, and it also hinged on, you know, the question of their mental health. Were the girls delusional, clinically paranoid, or had they been completely aware of the consequences and chose to go ahead with their plan regardless? The defense argued that the girls had been swept in a fully A deux Or madness between two A rare sighted now questionable diagnosis Of psychosis developed by two individuals Socially isolated together The crime was too se- sensational And the defense too erotic for the jury to be Persuaded, They delibera- deliberated for a little over two hours before finding the girls guilty. Juliet got the worst of it. She was sent to Mount Eden Prison in Acklands, notorious for its infestation of rats and its damp cold cells, particularly bad for an inmate who had recently suffered tuberculosis. There, Julia split her time between prison work, scrubbing floors, making uniforms in the sewing room, and writing material the superintendent called sexy stuff. In a letter to a friend, Juliet's father worried that she was still up in the clouds, completely removed, and occupied herself from her grandiose ideas about poetry and writing. Five months after the crime, Juliet remained unbowed, still immersed in literature, and a vision of the great artist she could become. After five and a half years, both were released by order of the Execution Council, and each were able to start her life again under an alias. Juliet, Hummel, and Perry moved to England using the shorthand she learned in prison, she got a job as a secretary, but she hadn't lost sight of her own of her and Pauline's plan one day to move to California. When she was turned down for a visa for her criminal history was hard to overlook, she began working as a steward for an airline that often flew To the U.S. One day upon arriving to Los Angeles. She disembarked and never got back on the plane. She actually rented a lousy apartment. Took odd jobs. And wrote on a regular basis. By the time she was in her 30s. She had moved back to England. Launched a career as a crime novelist. And she had moved. Oh sorry. So that's crazy right. She became a crime novelist. After they did a crime. And since she is published more than uh, 50 novels, selling more than 25 m books worldwide. We're about to look them up after this. The next chapter of Pauline's life was not marked by such bravo. She became Hilary Nathan and eventually eventually moved to a small village in southeast England where she purchased a farm worker's cottage and stables and taught children with learning difficulties at a nearby school. She attended daily Mass at a local Catholic church. After retiring, she gave writing lessons in her at her home. Her identity and location were revealed in the press in 1997. I was born. Hello. I was like a year old. Pauline, then 59, quickly sold her property and she just disappeared. She left behind an elaborate mural on the wall of her bedroom, which buyers believed she had painted herself. A collection of scenes that are part fairy tale illustration, part religious allegory. Near the bottom there is an image of a girl with dark wavy hair like her own diving underwater to grasp an iconic icon of the Virgin Mary. Elsewhere the same girl as a winged angel, naked and ragged, is locked in a birdcage. At the mural's peak, a beautiful blonde, a girl who rem- resembles Juliet, sits astride as Pegasus, glowing, exuberant, ex- arms outstretched, and the blonde appears again on a horseback, seemingly about to take flight as Pauline figure, as the Pauline figure tries to brittle the animal. These On display these images, both the narcissist of adolescence and remorse of adulthood, the penance of a woman who has resolved to receive a sacrament every single day, and what bridges these two elements is an image in the mural's center, the Pauline girl seated, head bowed under a tree, under a dying tree against a dying landscape. The oculate language of nature, those late nights in the garden, those dark plants in the wood, had nothing left to give her. It had lost its pagan power. So, there is another another thing with Anissa and the detective, and I'm about to read it to you really quick. So a powerful narcissism was also in fuel few full view during the interrogation of Anissa after being arrested for the stabbing of Bella The first question Anissa asked the detective was not about her friend's condition but how far she had she and Morgan had actually walked that day and said cuz I'm not usually very athletic and she just wanted to know she seemed very Impressed by the challenges they had faced on their long walk after leaving Bella, harping on the distance, the threat of the heat exhaustion and mosquitoes, and the limited snacks, you know, the granola bar she had packed. She said it was disgusting. Near the end of her interview, she seemed to share a revelation with the detective. And Anissa, this is between Anissa and the detective. Anissa says, I just realized something. What's that? If I don't go to school Monday, that'll be the first day I miss about school. You're worried about school after you killed supposedly one of your best friends, and that's what you're concerned about, okay? Anissa was later actually diagnosed with a shared delusional belief, a condition that faded the long the longer she was separated from Morgan. She had been upset and unmourned by her parents' divorce and the bullying at school but was otherwise mentally mentally unstable while it is fairly easily easy based on the video footage to believe that something was wrong with Morgan it appeared she appeared detached and spaced out it seems quite clear that Anissa was not ill she appeared more frightened than Morgan more in touch with the reality of the situation crying occasionally throughout She didn't read as flighty, she didn't speak in a distant, spooky voice, she seemed upset but grounded. She answered questions with eagerness and precision of a girl who wanted to be the best student in class. And this was precisely why it's so upsetting to watch footage of the following exchange about the immediate aftermath of the stabbing. And the detective said, so Bella was screaming. And Anissa said, mm-hmm. And then afterwards, afterwards, to trying to keep her quiet, I said, sit down, lay down, stop screaming. You'll lose blood slower. She tried complaining that she couldn't breathe and that she couldn't see us. So she started screaming, I hate you, I trusted you. And Anissa said, mm-hmm. And then the detective said, she got up. And Anissa said, Yeah. She got up and tried to walk towards the street, and it led to the other side of Big Ben Road. And the detective said, so she tried to walk towards the street, and what happened? And then she collapsed, and she said she couldn't see, and she couldn't breathe, and also couldn't walk. And then Morgan and I kind of directed her away from the road and said that home is this way, and we were going deeper into the forest. So she fell down and she couldn't breathe or see. Mm Mm-hmm. Or walk. Or walk. You had... And you had... You had told her to to lay down and be quiet. You'll lose blood slower and we're going to get help. But you really weren't going to get help, right? Mm, no. At this point in the interview, Anissa was wrapped in a large wool blanket. The detective handed it to her because... The space was chilly. Perhaps she was was trying to gain Anissa's confidence or perhaps simply instinctively offering to comfort a young girl being held in a concrete room. Anissa had been crying, but whether this was genuine remorse or a kid's fear of getting into trouble is anyone's guess. The look on her face did not tell us. And the detective read it back to her. The story of two girls who led their friend into the woods. And guys, that is the story about two girls who had killed. Um, how Pauline and Juliet killed Pauline's mother. And how Morgan and Anissa tried, you know, stabbed their friend to death. And thought they killed her, so I'm going to say that's, like, attempted murder. And, you know, Slender Man, what I'm going to do now is I really want to look up, um, Juliet's books. Because I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, hold on, i got to find it. I'm looking at this picture of Slender Man and boy is he creepy. Because if I saw that, no, no. Okay. What is her name? Okay, Anne Perry. She's an author. All right, so these are her books in order: mystery sequels. There is the Catter Street Hangman, Colander Square, Pargana Walk, Resurrection Row, Rutland Place. Bluegate Fields, Death in the Devil's Ark, Cardigan Crescent, Silence in Hoover Close, Bethlehem Road, Highgate Rise, Belgrave Square, Farrier's Lane, The Hyde Park Headsman, Traitor's Gate, Pentecost Alley, Ashworth Hall, Brunswick Gardens, Bedford Square, Half Moon Street, The Whitechapel Conspiracy, Southampton Row, Seven Dials, Longspoon Lane, Buckingham Palace Gardens, Betrayal at Linson Grove, Dorshers, Terrence, Midnight at Marble Ark, Death on Blackhead, Blackheath, An Angel Court Affair, Teachery at Lancaster Gate, and Murder of the Serpentine. I hope those are her books. Hold on. Nope. I just- I lied to you all. Oh man, hold on. But they're on this page. Huh. That is so weird to me. I think those are her books. Oh, wait, maybe they are. Someone said on May 11th, 2021, I wish Anne Perry will write more monk books. Oh, wait, no. Yep, they're right. Okay. Nope. Those are the books. That is crazy. Like, how do you go from killing your best friend your best friend's mom to becoming a crime novelist what oh man that is so good and someone said her books are I guess pretty good and they're on good reads oof that is crazy whoa She has two hundred and sixty-nine books. Yeah, so she has the Charlotte and Thomas Pitt, William Monk, World War One, Daniel Pitt, Elaine Standish, Tanitha, Timepiece, and they're like series of books. Whoa. that's crazy. Holy heck. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed the story. You can send me a gmail um, at crime at gmail.com. You can follow the Facebook um, group at Crime. You can follow me on Instagram at Crime. And I think that's it. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, just don't buy Ann Perry's books since she's still alive. And she's making, I guess money. Oh look, she, you can get them on Amazon too. Anne Perry, in the murder of the century. Oh yeah, and it like tells them about it, huh? You can get it for thirteen thirty nine on Amazon or Kindle for eleven dollars. On Audible, it's free. So maybe uh, you know. If you want to give it a try. But guys, that's all. And I'm probably going to go watch something. Serial killer doc series. And I hope you listened. And I hope you keep listening. And I hope you tell all your friends. And I love you all so, so much. Thank you for listening. And yeah. You know, maybe you don't buy um, Anne Perry's books. But hey, you never know.